and welcome to episode 10 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And I'm Albert. And coming up, we're going to be talking to Dr. Lucy Rogers about putting Raspberry Pis in dinosaurs and lots of other exciting stuff. But before that, let's do some news. First up, Astro Pi, it's in space. It's on its way to the uh, the space station. Were you following it over the last few days? Yeah, I saw a little bit of the launch. They live streamed it and it was weird to see Earth just getting smaller and smaller <laughs> in the background. Yeah, it was looking very touch and go uh, there because it was supposed to go up on the 3rd, I think it was. And it eventually uh, launched on the 6th. So it almost didn't happen. It's the weather, you know? Yeah, I saw there was a couple delays of the weather, but I didn't really get a chance to watch the the actual launch in of itself, though. Yeah, I missed I missed the launch as well, but it, it it's good that it's gone because now the the projects will be in space. Um, they'll get used. We'll get the feedback. We'll get to see what the Raspberry Pi can actually do. And my understanding is, there's a whole curriculum tied to the the Astro Pies that uh, schools can use while the um, the experiments are happening in space. Oh, wow, that's that's seriously really, really cool. Uh, for those that don't understand what the Astro Pi is, we will post a show to the website in the show notes. And I really feel like this is the legacy of the Raspberry Pi. And of everything that they've done so far, this will probably be the pinnacle moment for them. Yeah, I mean, in the UK anyway, the uh, the astronaut who's going up, who's going to be conducting the experiments, Tim Peake, uh, he's been on a, on television a lot. So I've seen him on a number of things, which is great because it all it all ties together, you know. Who doesn't love space? Yeah, and it's really great for getting the kids excited about the Raspberry Pi, isn't it? To say this is actually something that's in space right now. Yeah, and the I mean, the main board other than the Raspberry Pi that's doing this is is the SenseHat, so you can get exactly the same functionality as they have without the the very expensive and very custom built case for it all to be in. But you can do the experiments, which is brilliant. Yeah, that's uh, really, really cool. And up next, we have a new story talking about the Magpie issue 40. In a case nobody knows, I mean, the Pi Zero was kind of on that magazine cover, but it's kind of no news. I don't think anybody's heard of that yet. But that is sold out within hours, and I still have not been able to find that anywhere in the States. So I'm still looking high and low for it. I did manage to buy a Pi Zero, but that was out of a store. But the magazine is still very elusive for the States anyway. Yeah, I think this thing is going to be about a three-week lead time by the time it happens, so it's probably another week or so before it's in the U.S. Uh, in the stores is, again, rough rough idea on uh, on timelines for the actual magazine with the uh, free computer on the cover. Yeah, but in the meantime, you can always download the PDF of it. Yeah, you can get the, uh, the PDF of the magazine, and uh, as we mentioned on the special episode, there's a lot of articles in there on how to get ready for having the uh, Raspberry Pi Zero if you don't have one yet, or how to use it if you have one already. Because it is slightly different to the uh, standard Raspberry Pi, so it's definitely worthwhile getting the uh, the PDF. And then, if you get the magazine, then even better. You got the hard copy to have next to you while you're working through it, and the um, the Pi Zero. And it's been so popular that people are selling them on eBay for just silly money, aren't they? Yeah, I saw the the foundation tweeting that somebody was trying to charge one hundred twenty five dollars for uh, the the Raspberry Pi. And there's a, a currently today an eBay listing for fifty pounds for the magazine unopened with the uh, the Pi Zero on the cover. So um, it looks like you know people might buy them to have them as collector's item rather than to use them as a computer. If you want the computer, buy the uh, the Pi Zero from one of the many stores that have them. Uh, if you want a collector's item, then you know it's it's up to people to decide what they want to buy. Yeah. Also, if um, 
you haven't heard uh, exactly what is going on with the Pod Zero, please check out episode nine. Uh, Joe and Albert put together a special episode for the Pod Zero, so definitely check that out as well. And um, we talked about it last time, the new version of Raspbian kind of update, and it kind of got a little bit lost, didn't it, with all of the, the Pi Zero hype. But now there's an official blog post explaining what's new in it, and uh, there's there's quite a lot, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, the big thing for uh, this episode is obviously Node Red being included as uh, by default. So definitely uh, Lucy's interview is going to be uh, more specific because everybody can now use it. Just get the new image, get it onto your Raspberry Pi, and you've got Node Red to work with. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that later. Yeah, with the uh, new update, I really like the Pi package as well. I was using it last night, found it real easy to install, uh, what was it, Ice Weasel? I guess that's a somewhat like Firefox. and I was a big fan of that as well. Yeah, Ice Weasel's just a rebranded Firefox, basically, because of uh, some of the trademark issues that they had. Yeah, before it was a real labor of love to get Firefox on the Raspberry Pi, or at least on Raspbian, I felt like, because it comes default with Ubuntu Mate. But last night, I was able to just install the Pi package and then pulled up the uh, Firefox browser. I mean, I Googled for that or searched in the Pi package, and then it brought up Ice, Ice Weasel, and I just checked off the boxes, installed it, and there I took off and it was really slick i really like that yeah so you say pi package we're talking about a graphical package manager which it didn't have before raspbian whereas now there is a, a way with a gui of installing new software and indeed doing updates as well so now that it just makes it even easier to use rather than having to use the command line to install stuff now you've got a nice gui that pi package we're talking about has kind of i've been a big fan of ubuntu mate since its latest update over raspbian but now with this pi package concept i'm starting to lean back towards raspbian just to how many different packages they have to install how easy it is and everything available to me i really really like it and the other thing that's been updated in there is um a scratch it's gotten a i had a quick look at some of the the notes about it there appears to be some bug fixes as is always the case but they've also done some more tweaks which made it a little bit faster and when i ran it it, it definitely felt uh, a bit faster so you not a quantum leap but definitely a, you know a bit smoother in the menus a bit faster when uh, running the actual programs so yeah the tim has been busy again i think one of the things that was added was um the gpio through scratch only worked with the Broadcom pin numbering, while now it can actually do pin numbering as well. So if you're used to going to, you know, physical pin, say 11, then you can now do that again in scratch, which is great. And one more thing for the listeners, if you do pull down this Raspbian update, uh, please note that Node-RED, GPAL0, and the Pi package will not be on that. You have to install those three on their own. So just sudo app install, whichever those three you want, and you'll pick those up as well. Yeah, or just download the, the new image and start again. But yeah, if you're just doing updates from an existing image, you will need to install them separately, yeah. So there's been a bit of a, uh, a bad news story happening in the last couple of weeks, and that's about the entropy drought. And I suppose what this really means is that because Raspbian boots straight to the desktop, you, it doesn't have time to gather enough randomness for... SSH keys to be strong enough to not be broken fairly easily. And so this was a bit of a problem potentially, but it looks like it's going to be fixed in the next version of Raspbian. That's correct, Joe. The next version of Raspbian, the fix should be there for it. And what you said is also correct on why it's such an, uh, why it's an issue because it doesn't have enough 
time uh, at the beginning of boot up. To instead, it makes these predictable crypto keys, which is why normal Linux desktops um, don't have this problem. the The good thing is, is yes, it will be fixed next version of Raspbian. The problem here is, it's up to the users to update to that version of Raspbian to fix that. So I guess that's kind of ubiquitous in most software nowadays, where it's almost in the hands of the users to fix it. So that's that's the one bad part about it. But the good thing is there is a fix coming. So also there is a fix currently right now that you could do, which is just you can regenerate the SSH keys using uh, after you seed them. So there is a fix now, and you can also wait for the fix. It's totally up to you on what you do, want to do. And something that was mentioned uh, back in the OSMC edition was um, read-write speeds on SD cards and using external drives. Well, somebody has done a fantastic test of all different kinds of micro SD cards to get their performance. Yes, and that person is Jeff Gearling, I believe how you say his name. And thank you so much for doing this, Jeff, because I've always been curious on the different kind of uh, micro SD cards, the speeds, the rewrites of all that. And I'm glad someone went out and did all that hard work for me. Um, he's posted in this story a really nice table format of what the best ones were. But And if you don't have any of them on the list or aren't using any of those on the list, take uh, don't worry about it because he even says in the article that all 16 cards that he's used over the past year or so have been flawless. He just kind of noticed some little differences in price versus performance of some of the cards and thought he would take it upon himself to do this experiment for us. Yeah, I heard somewhere that um, Class 10 cards are designed for uh, high-speed reads. Well, class six is better for random reads and writes. So class, even though class six is officially slower, in some instances, it's supposed to perform better than a class 10. So it's one of those, again, fudge areas. So it's great that somebody's done the testing and pulled out the, the true results. Yeah, definitely well worth a look if you're looking to buy a new SD card. Good, good resource there. Um, and one that I liked the look of was putting uh, internet or Ethernet on a uh, Pi Zero um, using a really, really cheap uh, SPI Ethernet adapter, the ENC28J60. Um, this thing's been around oh, for, for a good while. I, I used it a bunch of years ago with um, an Arduino to, to get Ethernet. Um, and they're in the UK. Uh, you can get them for a couple of pounds from uh, China. But um, Alex Eames, again, on, on Raspberry TV, has a great write-up on how to uh, attach this to the Raspberry Zero and get an Ethernet connection. Yeah, it looks pretty straightforward, really. Uh, I was expecting it to be a bit more in-depth and complicated, but it's uh, just a fairly straightforward connection and, and pretty much plug-and-play after that. Yeah, it's not the fastest, but then if you're doing Internet of Things type stuff where you're just sending a small amount of data or receiving a small amount of data to do actions, you don't need crazy speeds. And my thought immediately was, if you took the Ethernet port off the uh, the device, the NC28J60, and wired it straight to the GPIO, you'd have an amazingly low-profile device that could get a, a, an internet connection. So if you've got a, an NC28J60 sitting in a a box of bits, it, it might be worthwhile dragging it out and having a play and see how it performs. And next up as a awesome story and also in the swag store now available is the Raspberry Pi 2016 calendar. So awesome that Christmas is now upon us. Anybody that it looks like a rather youthful calendar, but at least it has all the dates on it. And I think it also has official Magpie release dates as well marked in the calendar. 
and I think this would be a great Christmas present for a lot of kids out there. I myself, unfortunately, cannot get this because I use a Star Trek calendar every year to mark my stuff. So I cannot give up that tradition I've been having for over 10 years now of a Star Trek calendar. But I hope that uh, people will send us pictures of their, their uh, Raspberry Pi calendar. Yeah, it, it looks good. A, a great stocking filler or something for somebody for Christmas. It looks like a, a nice thing. I might end up getting one. I have a, a few people who still say, what do I want for Christmas? And this might be a nice, simple thing to get. Put it up in the office. Well, back on episode two of the Pi Podcast, we spoke to Michael and Tim, who run the annual Pi Wars event. And that has just happened, the, the last weekend gone. And it looks like a lot of fun. And um, it's a shame that I couldn't get there to watch it, unfortunately. Yeah, I was the same in the country, but couldn't make it this year. Hopefully, uh, I'll get to it next year. I was watching uh, Twitter for what was happening. And the thing that amazed me was, there was two things. One was the quality of the robots. So I was expecting, wrongly, for a lot of people to turn up with really home-built, very basic robots with bits hanging off them. And and there was some of them there. One of my favorites was was one of those. Uh, but there was also a lot of engineering went into these. And part of what was required was that uh, it all had to be documented. It had to be blogged. There had to be resources available on how to do it. So that means if you're into building robots with the Raspberry Pi, you know, there's now an, a number of robot styles and types and build logs out there to help you to pick the right components, but also to get the manufacturing done, which is is a brilliant legacy to be left from this Pi Wars. Yes, I'm going to miss the Twitter feeds of seeing people when they the robot would finally learned that the wall was there, how to do a 180. So I was enjoying that as the lead up uh, kept getting closer to Pi Wars. More and more Twitter posts were happening, but I think it's awesome. I didn't I didn't realize the documentation was required. And that's really, I really, really like that. I'm going to have to check some of that out because I would love to get my, be able to build some of these robots I was witnessing. Yeah. And there was, um, I think the guys mentioned as well that there's a, a code review as part of it. So that means the code for the robots has also got to be public and has also got to be, uh, well, hopefully easily readable by somebody else, especially for the winners. So that'll do it for the news then. Let's move on to the interview. We're now joined by Dr. Lucy Rogers, who is a freelance consultant engineer and a writer and journalist specializing in astronomy, spaceflight and engineering. So welcome, Lucy. Thank you. So can you introduce yourself for us a little bit, please? Sure. I'm a mechanical engineer by training, but I also put science into plain English so I can take published papers, take all the jargon out, put it in plain English. But not only am I doing that with technical stuff, science stuff, um, now starting to do it within the maker community as well. Fantastic. The, the first time I came across you, Lucy, was the, uh, the dinosaurs. What was that and how did you end up uh, playing with dinosaurs? The owner of a theme park on the Isle of Wight, Black Gang Chine, had heard of me, knew that I liked tinkering with bits and bobs, knew that his dinosaurs, his animatronic dinosaurs that had come over from China weren't doing quite what he wanted them to do. So he called me in and said, can you hack my dinosaurs? I got a team together. We all went down there and we started to hack the dinosaurs, take some of the older components out. We installed Raspberry Pis. And with some help, I trained up the staff from the theme park. And these are staff who, during the their normal jobs, are fiberglasses or the carpenter as well as the technical guys, 
and we trained them using Node-RED, which is a visual flow programming language. So they didn't actually have to learn coding. They actually grab and drop bits of code and they can now program their own dinosaurs. So going uh, to the dinosaurs, the training went really well due to no red, is that correct? Yeah, the staff can now hack their own dinosaurs. The electronics in it needed some extra special work, but now we've got the Raspberry Pis in, we've got a, a system called TouchBridge working in, in there, and the dinosaurs are under our control. Before you go any further, Lucy, uh, can you give us and the listeners just a brief background on what Node Red is exactly? Certainly. So Node Red is a visual tool for wiring the Internet of Things. You can download it, install it on your Pi, and then either through a networked laptop, PC, going into a just a browser that's connected to your Pi, you can then drag and drop. So there might be a button on, on the menu that you drag over to your worksheet, and there might be an output such as an LED that you can also drag across. You just join them, join them up with a bit of string and say go, and off they go. When the button is pressed, the light turns on. Okay, so how did you come across Node-RED, and why did you choose it for this particular project? When I was studying mechanical engineering, I was also doing a little bit of electronics and a little bit of computing and decided that the whole lot was all black magic and witchcraft and I couldn't understand a word of it. I kept putting all my colons, parentheses, in the wrong place, just really didn't get on with coding. So when I saw this this visual flow, I've got a very logical brain so I can understand I need to do A before I do B, before I do C. I can understand that and this node red just does that. You just have to take the blocks. You don't have to understand the underlying code. But even better, if you do understand the code, you can actually start programming it in JavaScript. So that's an added bonus. So it's great for complete uh, computer newbies like myself, or real people who are really real good coders. They can also use it for rapid prototyping of different examples. I came across it when Andy Stanford-Clark from IBM who's also on the Isle of Wight, uh, where the theme park is, uh, he showed me this, the potential of Node-RED, and he's helped me work out the beginning steps, and now I'm, I'm loving it. Fantastic. It sounds like um, Node-RED kind of for production does what Scratch is doing for education, kind of giving that block or visual programming system. Have you seen Scratch much? I haven't used it, I've seen it a bit, and it just seems that Node-RED is the professional version for industry of what Scratch is. Fantastic. Have you seen any other projects using uh, Node-RED? Oh, there's, there's loads about from Twittering Ferries. I don't know if you've heard that story from Andy stanford Clark, who wanted to know, whilst living on the Isle of Wight, whether the ferries would come in or go out, at uh, what time if they were going to be late, and he's managed to set up using various things he's found on the web to actually tweet where the ferries are. I've also used Node-RED for setting up a bus uh, alert system. So my friend lives in London and all the buses, you can see on the the bus stops what time, no, next bus is arriving two minutes, next bus is arriving in three minutes. I've managed to hack into that system um, in a legitimate way. They, They let you hack into that system and put it on a Raspberry Pi put some lights flashing and and made a red bus 
Raspberry Pi case. So when her bus is 10 minutes away, one light lights up. When it's eight minutes away, another light lights up. When it's six minutes away, another one. When it's four minutes away, all of them flash to tell her to get down to the bus stop pretty, pretty quick. So it's got an awful lot of uses. So going back to the dinosaur theme park, because I'm really interested in this, uh, how many Raspberry Pis did it take to get the, I guess, the dinosaurs hacked and put back to, together? And also, what were some of the uh, problems you guys ran into using Raspberry Pis for that? Most dinosaurs will actually only need one Pi. The problem is the number of GPIO pins. Because you have different motors that do different things, so one motor will wag the tail, one motor will open the jaws, one motor will make it breathe. You've also got the inputs of if the mouth is open, it triggers an input. If the body is up, it triggers an input. Where the arms are, triggers another input. The biggest problem was getting all of those inputs and all of those outputs working on one pie with the just the GPIO pins that are on there. But we got it working. We can use smaller dinosaurs. And so I started with a cardboard postcard of a dinosaur that just lit LEDs when, when I wanted the head to move, an LED lit up in the head. I then took this one stage further and made a, a laser cut dinosaur um, on, on plastic, an etched dinosaur, again with the LEDs. And then taking that further, I've now got a desktop dino. So DD, the desktop dino, is about two foot tall, two foot long, and she can now be controlled by my Pi. And it's exactly the same system that goes out into the park. So the, the dinosaurs are tethered by their feet. They don't go roaming about, but things move. But the most important part of all that was the, it's effectively the open collector drivers, how you can run from a 3 volt, 3.3 volt GPIO pin, all those huge motors that run the dinosaurs. And we did that by getting James McFarlane from Airborne Engineering involved, uh, act as a consultant, made us some cards up. He's called it the TouchBridge system. And using those, we can now just use one pie to control quite a few dinosaurs. Now, clearly, if we had to solve this problem, we would opt for a Raspberry Pi because that's kind of our thing. But what was it that made you choose that? I mean, of all the various Arduinos and other ARM boards, what specifically about the Raspberry Pi attracted you to kind of put that in the dinosaurs? The main thing that the owner of the park, Alexander de Bell, wanted was for his staff to program it. And so using Node-RED, which isn't available for the Arduino, um, just made Raspberry Pis the obvious choice. We've also got sound and motion and lights. So actually having the sound from the Pi as well was also great. You used that with the, um, was it the Chinese New Year? Or Chinese festival? Alexander Debell uh, and Vectis Ventures is the holding company of both Black Gang Chine, which is where the dinosaurs are, and also of Robin Hill theme, uh, Robin Hill Country Park, where the festival's held. Both both parks are on the island. The country park, Robin Hill Country Park, has put electrics through its woods, so you can walk through the woods at night, and they're all lit up magically. 
when I first heard about it, I must admit I thought that would be all a bit twee and fairy-like, but it's actually really something special to go to. They hold various events during the year, and Chinese New Year is one of them. So one of the other projects that I worked on with, again, Node Red and a Raspberry Pi, was to make electronic firecrackers. The Chinese firecrackers we can't use, the They've been banned in this country. So I used a strip of strobe lights, a couple of speakers, a smoke machine, and put it all together with a pie so it could be remote controlled with a garage remote control opener, a garage door opener, or it can be remote controlled. It can be triggered by a PIR system. So a little passive infrared like people have in their back gardens for uh, turning on their lights. The motion sensor, yep. So other than the, the work with the, the dinosaurs and Chinese New Year and working in Node Red, what else have you got going on? Well, more dinosaurs, even more dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> the thing that I'm really excited about at the moment is that IBM, who have made Node Red and have made it open source, I have been working with Raspberry Pi Foundation. And hopefully by the time that this goes out on air, Node Red will be bundled onto the Jesse image comes you can download from the uh, Raspberry Pi Foundation. So instead of having to download it yourself, connect your Pi to another computer to actually start programming it, you can actually just open up the GUI, look in the programming selection, choose Node Red, open it up on the browser on your Pi, and you're away. So this has just made it so much easier for so many more people to actually just get their hands on it, start programming it without having to worry about, oh, but I don't know if that should be an exclamation mark or a hash. To me, this is brilliant. I had a look at the instructions for installing Node Red on the Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it <laughs> because for what I want to do, Python will work. So it's another one of these things where I want to play with it, but the idea of investing basically an evening into getting it set up, I just went, eh, another day. So, I mean, I'm yeah, this is going to be brilliant because I've seen you with it. I've seen what it can do. I can see how, I see how easy it is to, you literally drag and drop blocks and then connect them together. Um, and it just looks like it makes it really, really easy. And it's got a far more logical flow, I think, visually than things like Scratch or the block-based systems because one thing leads to the next rather than it all being in a chunk, if you know what I mean. So, wow. <laughs> I'll need to update Jesse soon, hopefully. Yeah, I had a, the other problem of this. I was able to install Node-RED, but I hit a major roadblock that Node-RED is not playing with the latest version of Node, which I'm using, and I'm hoping that once this gets aired, someone will take some time to update that. Uh, one question for you, Lucy, is has anybody taken... This seems like a great idea for kids because... The Raspberry Pi is geared towards kids. Kids love dinosaurs. Has anyone tried to collab all these two into a major project to get kids involved with this amusement park to let them know that the Raspberry Pis are running this or get them involved in programming this? Um, I'm beginning to. I've. This is why I was getting my desktop dinosaur, or one of the reasons for getting the desktop dinosaur was I was hoping to take it into schools, get children to actually program their own pies and then we can plug it into a, a real dinosaur and it would do exactly the same on your desk as it would out in the theme park and so maybe competitions to take it out into the theme park plus also competitions for uh, using node red into the festival the 
Robin Hill lights electric woods and seeing what they can come up with there. So nothing's been set yet, but it's all in the thinking about planning stage. I've also been working with my brother, Ben Rogers, who's on Twitter as at BenRogersEDU, and he's been taking a Raspberry Pi. He's now a primary school teacher. He's been taking it into his schools and they're, they're absolutely loving it. One child made a, a game using tinfoil and coins that when the coins, like a shove, shove hateney, when the coin bridged the tinfoil using node red, lights went up and they had a traffic light system. It was, it was really good. I think I saw that. That looked fantastic. And just the, the ingenuity of doing it, the, the simplicity and the ingenuity was just fantastic. He had, I think yeah. the, the kid had a little ramp that the coin rolled down rather than just sort of trying to make it roll by hand. Yeah. That's fantastic. So you've also been getting into designing PCBs recently. <laughs> yes, because I wanted a PCB. I thought I'd better design one myself. Um got to grips just about with EagleCAD software. I wanted, among other things, I kept finding with the Raspberry Pi, I wanted to run motors, especially if I'm hacking dinosaurs or hacking other toys. I wanted to run some motors off the GPIO pins and soon discovered that you couldn't actually just put a motor straight onto the GPIO pin because things go kaput then. So I needed what's called an open collector driver. And instead of making just one on a breadboard, I was finding I was using them again and again and again. So I designed one on Eagle CAD and got it made with my friends at Ragworm. And now I've got my little own little PCBs. Uh, open collector drivers or thingatrons, as I call them, because they allow me to connect things to my Pi. Have you designed them to use with uh, the big motors or are they just for the small ones for the, the hobbying? They're just for hobbying. They have a, a lower limit, so I can't use a, a one and a half volt battery is too low for it to trigger. So it has to be anything that's powered by bigger than a one and a half volt, but it does go up to 24 volts. But again, that's, it's still not quite enough oomph and everything else for the big dinos, but plenty to play with. If any of our listeners are very beginner or intro level into PCBs, where would you recommend them getting up to speed in much the same way you did? I wrote a blog on Element 14's website on how I did my first PCB. Um, I tried to put in all the mistakes that I had made as a beginner and say, watch out for this, don't do that. If this happens, this might you might blow up your, your PCB, so try not to do that. And, and now I'm using my own blog as my go-to when I've actually got to redesign. I think, oh, how did I do that? No, yeah, I wrote it somewhere. So finding it very useful. <laughs> uh, it always is self-documentation. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Lucy. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, what's the best way? Have you got a Twitter or a website? Um, on Twitter, at Dr. Lucy Rogers, at Dr. Lucy, L-U-C-Y, Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S. I've also got a website, www.lucyrogers.com. Okay, well, yeah, we'll put some links in the show notes and uh, people can come check you out. Uh, but hopefully speak to you again at some point. But until then, thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, that was a great interview with uh, Lucy Rogers. I mean, I, I met Lucy a while back at uh, one of the jams and she's she's been doing some great things. And as I said, she's having some fun with her uh, 
her cast at the moment putting uh, LEDs on it. So she's definitely worth following on Twitter if you're not already, because she's uh, she's having some fun with all of that. Yes, and in the interview, I believe I made a comment on Node Red not supporting the la- latest version of Node, and I stand corrected. Since it's been released, it does support the latest version of Node, so that is very positive. And just throwing it out there for listeners who might not realize that. Yeah, Lucy's one of those people who are just doing so many different interesting things that it's it's hard to kind of fit it all into an interview. So uh, I really hope we can get the chance to catch up with her uh, again at some point. But with that, we're coming to the end of another Pi Podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com, find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac and Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. Take care. See you later. <laughs>